Welcome to the middle of culture. I am one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. And uh, we're here. We made it through another two weeks. We did. Some days it feels like only just. (laughs) By the skin of our teeth or by the by the fur on our antlers. Right. It's that season when the the fuzz is coming off all the antlers. So I see all these amazing pictures on social media of all these elk and deer and moose with the like blood smeared antlers and like the skin sloughing off. And then they're like eating it because it's like really good protein for them. It does look pretty metal. I'll give it that. It's extremely heavy metal. You read, you look at that and you're like, oh, this looks like an Agalock cover, but not in silver. Exactly. Anyway, uh, how you been? Been hanging in there. Been hanging in there. You know, things have been busy and uh, work and outside of work. And, you know, it's, uh, but, but we're hanging in there. We're, 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 we're doing that at least. That's, that's all we can do. You do, you, uh. It is. You, you seen or heard or read or done anything fun the last couple of weeks since we chatted? Uh, you know, I continue to work on the Wheel of Time. I'm most of the way through book three now. A- and I'm, uh, I, I am enjoying it. It isn't something that has, you know, gripped me so much that I am constantly going back. I mean, it's easy for me to get distracted. I'm I'll listen to podcasts and stuff. And then when I'm caught up on my podcast, then that's when I'll start listening to the audiobook. Sure. Or I'll read some articles and then, then that'll be when I, when I'm done with those, then maybe I'll read a little bit. Uh, so I got to say that. my, my poor co my poor uh, podcast listening has gone down the toilet with this new job. I'm, I am spending too much time talking to people instead of sitting in an office in silence, looking at a computer screen, listening to other people talk. So <laughs> it's rough out here. Well, you know, I, and I don't know exactly why I've made the transition to, I, I've started just listening to podcasts when I'm working out in the mornings instead of music. And oh, since okay. I listen at about two times speed and I'm working out for about 90 minutes a day, I can crank through a fair number of podcasts just with my, my working out time in the morning. So that make nice. makes it easy to stay on top of them. Nice. Uh, it doesn't make me miss listening to music because I'm not listening to music much these days, but, uh, but yeah. That and, just uh, tells then, me nothing know, worth listening to is coming out. So it's on the artists. You know, I don't even know if I go that far, honestly. I think this time I can honestly say it's me, not them. It's me, not them. Okay. But, okay. you know, I've been uh, continuing to watch uh, The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and She-Hulk, and then continue to enjoy She-Hulk and me and enjoy too. it for what it is, which is just, you know, it's a light, fun, low-stakes comedy. And if you approach it that way, then I think it's delightful. And if you're expecting something more from it, then I think you got the wrong show. Agreed. I thought that last week's wedding episode was extremely fun. Oh, yeah. Um, And today's, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the day She-Hulk comes out. I watched today's episode during my lunch break today, and it was extremely entertaining. It was... Oh, good. It was I'm looking so forward to in seeing. the vein. Uh, and, and again, this is something that I feel like the first couple episodes I was a little iffy on. But ever since episode three, I feel like they have really captured the feel of my favorite runs of She-Hulk from the comics. And nice. this felt like 
an issue I would have read during Dan Slot's run, and it's not only because there was a tow truck that was slot towing. I did see that <laughs> Easter egg and thought to myself, that was kind of you to do for Dan Slot, who wrote many of my favorite She-Hulk stories. Uh, but this felt like one from that run, uh, and it was really great. I really enjoyed this week's episode. Nice. Well, I'm glad to know that you've been enjoying it, because like I say, I have as well. And, uh, you know, I'm... I know I've been saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm loving the Rings of Power. There are a few things where sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't know if that worked, and uh, I don't know if that was the right decision to make at that point. But you know what? I'm pretty sure we can say that about all entertainment always. And so if people are getting hung up on little things like that, and again, choosing to become toxic butt munches about it, well, that's their problem because I think it is – a, a sufficiently epically Tolkien-esque piece of fantasy that's uh, hitting me right in a right in a good spot. So that's well, good. that's about it. Oh well, no, I will also say, recently, you know, the next, I think the term they use is collection of the Great British Bake Off has started releasing on Netflix, and they're okay. releasing one a week, and that is my Sunday night Zen show. That okay. is the. The existential dread of the coming week has started to set in, and then I sit down and I turn on the Great British Bake Off for an hour, and I just enjoy delightful British people baking things that I find fascinating. And then I feel a little bit better about the coming week, and not quite so much dread, and then I usually go to bed and wake up Monday morning and forget about that and embrace the (laughs) dread. But hey, you know, it's what we do. You have that moment, though. You have those I forty do. minutes or hour, however long those episodes are. I've never watched the show. Yeah, it's a nice. It's a nice solid hour. That's great. That's great. Well, um, how about well, I'm you? Glad you're enjoying that. I'm glad that Netflix has realized, hey, the drop the whole season at once method is a bad. I agree. I because the trick is the trick is you watch it all in one fell swoop. You spend a whole weekend watching it, and then you never think about that show again. Yes. I hate the binge. Like I do too. I, I really don't. And I hear people complaining about these other services that are releasing things on a weekly basis. And I, I think they're wrong. I'm just going to say I, it. I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I think I have been enjoying She-Hulk far more because I watch an episode a week. And I think if I were to binge the whole thing, I'd be like... Yeah, it's fine, but because I'm watching it weekly, it's coming to me like unless they really biff it in these last few episodes, this might be my favorite thing from Phase Four. It's fun, and and I am with you. I think the weekly drop helps because you get your little in the case of She Hulk, you get your little thirty minute more or less episode. And then you've got a week to maybe think back on it once or twice and then look forward to the next one once or twice. Uh-huh. But that's actually way more than you would think about it if you did sit down and watch all nine episodes or whatever it is back to back to back and cranked through it. Like you said, yep. then it's gone. Then it's forgettable. Yep. And that's why so many of the Netflix shows don't last past two seasons because they drop. Everyone talks about it for a week on Twitter or three days on Twitter and then no one ever talks about it again. Even their biggest show, Stranger Things, comes out. Everyone talks about it for a week and then no one talks about it again for two years until the next season comes out. Yeah. It really doesn't do that. That that 
binge drop, though. Dropping the whole thing at once really just does not do – it doesn't do the shows or any of the people who are involved in creating the shows. It doesn't do them any favors in terms of really achieving mindset. Yes, you get that flash-in-the-pan cultural zeitgeist, but, man, I got to think that it's way better to have that – uh, more of a, maybe it doesn't hit quite as hot, but it burns for a lot longer if you spread it out. Yeah. And it gives, and, and look, I, maybe people are not like me. Maybe I'm very weird in this regard and it wouldn't surprise me if I am. But sometimes for me, having the whole season there in front of me will actually prevent me from watching a show because oh, it feels 100%. like too much of a commitment. I and don't so, think that, I don't think that that's weird at all. I think that that is a common feeling. Yeah. It is the reason I have never watched Stranger Things. Because I'm like, oh, okay, but I got a whole season to watch of it. And now it's like, now I have two and then three and then four. And, you know, then I just go, well, I guess I wasn't that interested. And yep. again, if they were just, if they were dripping it out a little bit more slowly – if the only commitment that was in front of me was I need to set aside 30, 45, 60 minutes this week to watch this piece of cake, easy. I mean, the Lord Agreed. of the Rings, the Rings of Power is long. These episodes are over an hour. I think the last one was like an hour and 12 minutes. Oh, wow. And so if you dumped out eight of those at once, we're talking eight hours plus. That's of 10 TV. hours. No one's watching that 10 hours of TV at once. Correct. That is daunting. And so metering it out like that, just one episode, it's, it's something where I go, yep, it's going to be a little long, but I'll absolutely set aside an hour plus minus a little bit to watch this. But if it was more than that, not going to happen. Yeah. Well, and it, it even gets me for shows that I even maybe enjoyed the first season of. I thought Jessica Jones season one was incredible. I never watched yeah. Jessica Jones season two because it came out a weekend when I was busy. And so yeah. the weekend when everyone online was talking about it and I could have been reminded of its existence and prompted to watch it, I was busy. And then by the time I had time to watch it, it had completely left the zeitgeist and I had no memory of it coming out. And then like six months later, I was like, wasn't that, oh yeah, that came out. And by that point, I'm not going to go back and watch it. It's too late. Well, and Netflix, I think just... And Netflix is, they've, they've screwed up when they oh, were yeah. the only show in town, then they could do whatever they wanted and you were just going to go. And it was, it was fine for there to be so much stuff, but now it's like, I open the Netflix app only to watch great British bake off because everything else, there is too much of it. And I can't even remember what came out. What am I interested in? What do I want to watch? What don't I want to watch? There's just too much of it. And see, explicitly with Netflix, for me, it's the opposite. What little things Netflix had to offer me that I was interested in are gone. Because I yeah. used to use Netflix a lot when Netflix was the only show in town. When it had every movie on God's green earth uh, and a bajillion shows, then great, Netflix was it. But 
I legitimately have not opened Netflix in months. And when they do their big price hike at the end of the year, Cassie and I are probably going to have to have uh, have a frank discussion and be like, is this worth keeping at this point when we're already paying for these other services that we do use far more frequently? Hulu is a far better bang for your buck than Netflix is at this point. And Disney Plus is the best bang for your buck in terms of entertainment. HBO Max, even with all of the mess with Warner Discovery, is still a better bang for your buck than Netflix. So if yeah. we're going to lose a streaming service, it's going to be the big N. Well, and, and I, I'm going to clarify because, again, I'm tired and I'm not being clear. There aren't that many things I want to watch on Netflix, but Netflix is releasing so many things that I can't find the few things that I thought I'd like to watch that because they're buried under this avalanche sure. of cut rate crap. So sure. yeah, I'm very seriously, and, and really the, the, the issue for me, the only thing that will keep me with Netflix is the fact that I've got uh, four households who are using it. We're using it the least. Yeah. But then, you know, Jess is, is, is using it periodically and Aubrey and Alyssa. And so with kind of the four households spread out, that would be the only reason, honestly, I think I would keep it. Yeah, I know. I know Cassie's parents use ours. um, And I might just say you're SOL. (laughs) I think that's okay. You are wealthy sextagenarians. You can buy your own Netflix subscription. (laughs) You still really want Netflix. The one thing I just realized, I do have to watch one thing before I can cancel my Netflix subscription, and that is the Godzilla anime, Godzilla Singular Point, which is apparently very good, but it came out on a weekend I was busy, so I haven't gotten around to watching a freaking Godzilla thing yet. Um, I don't even know what to think about that. That makes me very uncomfortable that you haven't watched that. To be fair... The trilogy of anime movies that Godzilla or of Godzilla that they put out in the mid 2000s, like 2015, 2016, 2017, dog shit. All three of them, they're terrible. <laughs> um, the design of Godzilla is really good, and that is literally the only positive thing I can say about that trilogy of movies. Is the design for Godzilla Earth is very good. Um, but Singular Point is supposed to be extremely good. My friend has recommended it to me more than once. The main characters build Jet Jaguar and pilot him like a mech. I should love. I should be in on this, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But I'm hoping to start like now that I'm working from home, incorporating a little more like work breaks with maybe like let me hop on the exercise bike before I eat my lunch and watch an episode of Godzilla Singular Point while I, you know, just do some some low key low impact pedaling and then go eat some lunch. Nice. So we'll see. I say That's this. A good idea if anything, just to hold myself accountable because now I've said it out loud to another person (laughs) instead of it just sitting in my brain. But I do need to watch that. The other thing I have been watching, though, that I want to mention before we get on to our topic du jour, uh, they did it. They made me care about Star Wars again. I thought this was impossible. (laughs) I thought I was done. I thought that the curse of Star Wars had been lifted from my body. I had not seen season two of the mandalorian i had not seen book of boba fett i had not seen obi-wan kenobi i had not seen any of the tv shows and then my friend said you gotta watch andor and told me that the corporate sector was in it and i was like oh word we're uh we're digging deep into the original eu stuff that we used to read when we were younger corporate sector's back baby and let me tell you andor 
that's what I was hoping to get from Star Wars when Disney bought it. Nice. It is. It, it, they did. They did the perfect thing. This is a weekly release. However, they put the first three episode out, episodes out at once, which was the right choice because pretty much anyone who's not a sicko like me, if only the first episode was out, would have been like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in the history of Star Wars. Why does anyone want to watch this show? I'm a sicko, so I was into it. But I could see how without episodes one, two, and three together, because episodes one and two, I will warn you listeners, extremely slow burn. Very slow burn. And then things pop off finally in episode three. And then episode four came out yesterday and we are back to the slowest of slow burns the entire episode was people talking in boardrooms and boutique shops and around campfires not a blaster shot was fired it was only people talking around set pieces and you know what i want more than anything people having serious conversations in sets, yeah. in cool design sets. So I'm here for Andor. I nice. am so bought into this show already. There is a new. There were two different brand new droids that made me completely mark out um, because they are great. There's one that is just steps. It's a droid whose job is to be steps. Wow. Is there anything more quintessentially 1970s star wars to me than a droid who is just steps that pulls up to the space bus so you can get off of the space bus and that is its entire job and reason for being that droid is my new hero and best friend nice and uh also b2 emo which is the other droid that you meet who talks like max headroom uh is wonderful i love him he's a great droid so watch andor (laughs) the droids are good there was two separate gonk droids in one episode and i freak out every time i see a gonk droid because that's my favorite droid uh it's a great it's a great show uh droids droids are cool uh there should be more droids and less uh people in star wars show mandalorian take note Andor is definitely one of those that I uh, I would like to watch. Uh, as I mentioned in our family Discord, I just can't handle more than three shows. And between She-Hulk, Rings of Power, and Great British Bake Off, that's that's all my time. I got nothing. So well, I think one I'll of those get ends. into Andor once one of these ends. That'll be throw Andor in there. Andor. Yeah, that's it's, that's the plan right now. I I could not have imagined caring about the mean spy from rogue one and i care about the show about i don't know if i care about andor as a character but i care about the show that has the mean spy and i think part of it is like this is a tony gilroy show and tony gilroy was the person who they brought in to punch up rogue one and i think that gareth edwards rogue one probably would have been good but it would have been a very different movie than we got um, I like Gareth Edwards as a filmmaker, so I bet it would have been good. Um, but I I see a lot of Tony Gilroy's blueprints on the Rogue One that we saw. And, like, this is the guy who wrote and directed Michael Clayton. That's one of the best political thrillers ever made. So, like, this is a guy who knows how to write scenes and film scenes of people having serious conversations in a boardroom. Because that's what Michael Clayton is. So, 
it's it's working for me. It's really good. I really am liking Excellent. it a lot. Um, yeah. So well, that's, I look forward to watching it once, like I say, once I've got a little spare time to add another show. That's that's the next one that's getting added. Also, the soundtrack rules. I'll just say that um, it's got a soundscape unlike anything I've heard in a Star Wars movie before or movie or show, and that works for me. A lot, a lot more synths than you usually get in a Star Wars soundtrack. Because usually Star Wars is big, bombastic, full orchestra. Getting a lot of synths here. And you know what I like? I like a synth. Cool. But anyway, Very let's good. move on to our topic for the day. Um, let's which do. Which is, is funny because I will only preface this by saying I tried to watch The Rings of Power this week. And I made it about 10, episodes, or 10 minutes in. And then I was like... This is a great looking show and I bet it's good, but you know what? I just don't care about high fantasy even a little bit. I just don't care about high fantasy. <laughs> I hate high fantasy. I don't care about it. So why don't we read some high fantasy comics? Um, and to be <laughs> fair, to be fair, this is not like dragons and swords and sorceries shit. It's a little different than that, but it is still high fantasy when it's all said and done. So today we are going to be talking about um, the first... How do I want to phrase this? The first <laughs> half. You you can of, just tell everybody that it's not the first volume because I, uh, because of me. <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. It is, it, it is either the first half of the complete, the grand quest volume put out by Dark Horse, or it is the first two volumes of the four volume original quest uh, trade paperbacks that were put out in the eighties, or it is the first 16 issues of the Marvel Epic reprints from the mid eighties, or it is the first 10 issues of the original magazine printing by warp graphics. So <laughs> no matter how you cut it, <laughs> all, no matter how you cut it, it's the first half, the first 350 pages or so of yep. the grand quest, the original quest, the first elf quest comics. Yep. So, as you said, we didn't make it through the whole thing. You were busy. You were, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff. I asked you to read 700 plus pages of comics and you said, dog, I ain't going to make it through this. And I said, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> There's, that would be a lot to talk about. So it's probably better that we split it into two and then we can read the other half in a few months or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, what did you think of ElfQuest so far? I don't know. Go Isn't on. that weird? Like, I don't know what I think about it. I, I like the art. I find the art engaging. I like the character design. I like the way that they, you know, you can very clearly see the difference between the elves and the humans and the trolls. And, and I like the art. I can't get into this story yet. Okay. And I think that's why I stalled out. You know, I basically what would happen is... I would, you know, home from work, getting kids home, get kids fed. And then, you know, my, my kids are old enough that at that point, then they're pretty self-sufficient. Sure. Working on homework. If they're done with homework, you know, making sure that they're reading something. And then if they've read home, they've read and they've done homework, then yeah, I'll, I'll let them play on the PlayStation or the Xbox, something like that. That's fine. And so that would be the time when it'd be like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read ElfQuest and I would open it up and I would go through and I would read 
maybe 10 pages. Maybe I would get, you know, if I was really dedicated, I'd get through a whole one of the, like I can tell when the smaller issues end because the way the, the, e, the Kindle book version of it, you can tell when you've reached the end of a smaller issue. Sure. And so it, I would it was maybe clearly written a, for, it was clearly written for um, like individual issues, um, which is a thing that we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure that you can see, oh, this is exactly where this issue would have ended. This is when the next issue would have begun because there is often some sort of like either cliffhanger or benediction or something that ends an issue definitively. And then the next issue begins with some sort of like, here's where we're at. Some sort of, you know, place setting. Yeah. And so I would maybe get through one of those, but a lot of times like I would, I would read and then I would just realize I'm like, I'm not paying attention anymore. And, and part of it is, is part of this larger discussion that I discovered while reading it. And I don't know now, cause I had the same, the same sort of, uh, I ran into the same sort of thing when we read the Inkal. Uh-huh. Uh, many moons ago. Comic books are very, very different to read than other things. Sure. And I think that there is an assumption, and I would posit an incorrect assumption, that they are easier to read because there's less text on the page and it's more pictures and so it's easy to cruise through but I would contest that there is a skill to reading comic books that is very different than the skill for reading the kinds of things I'm used to reading, which is either big fantasy or science fiction books or medical journal articles, medical review articles, medical textbooks, things like that. Sure. And so I really found that I would find it frustrating at some point because part of my brain was telling me, this should be easier to read and easier to get through than if you were reading, say, The Wheel of Time. Uh-huh. But I was not finding it that way. I was finding it to be much more difficult to get through. Um, and so I don't know. It, I don't know if it was that that lack of of skill that I have in that particular arena that put up a barrier between me and the story or really what was it? I mean, I'll give you kind of the short version. I don't really care about any of the characters. Like I don't like cutter. Um, I don't dislike him necessarily, but I don't like him. Sure. And you know, none of the, I don't know. I just, you know, I'm not really clicking with any of the characters and the story. It hasn't grabbed me. Interesting. Well, before before we delve into, before we talk a little bit about that, I want to do a quick summary, like we often do, of what happens in these comics. Um, So, spoiler warning, if you haven't read comics that came out in 1980 yet, you should do it. Um, I think you should. No, and I will say, no, and and I want to (laughs) clarify, I am glad that we are reading this. And it's not that I'm like, oh my gosh, I dislike this. It's not that I dislike it. It's just not grabbing me in a way that, look, out of the two of us, I'm the high fantasy nerd. I'm the one who is 
anxiously looking forward to the next 1200 page Brandon Sanderson book. I'm the one who is going back and rereading Two Green Angel Tower and, you know, the Memory, Sorrow and Thorn trilogy by Tad Williams every few years. And and that is incredibly slow paced, high fantasy stuff. So, sure. you know, so like I say, it's not that I'm disliking it. I just am not finding that it is engaging me in a way that I actually, I, I thought it would. And, and so I, I definitely, yeah, no, if anybody's interested, if you like high fantasy, people should read this. Because I can tell that it's quality. And, it is. and it's just that something about the story hasn't connected with me yet, even though, like I say, I like the art. I think the story is is interesting in that it's a you know it's it's a very um, how would I put it? I, I would say it's like a, it's almost a very personal story. you know, it is about sure. things that are really important to these individuals who are members of different races. But the, the stakes really are, well, yes, they're bigger stakes uh, in some regards for these, you know, these elves versus the trolls versus the humans, that sort of thing. The motivations really seem much more personal. And so, yeah. you know, in that regards, I think that it's, it's absolutely worth reading. I just don't know why it's not clicking with me or connecting with me. It's very interesting. Well, and I think that you're on it. I think you have a good point there where like this is about societies, but it's about very small societies. You know, like the uh, the Wolf Riders are seventeen people. There yeah. are exactly seventeen elves in the tribe of the Wolf Riders, each one of whom has a name, has an identity, has familial or friend relationships with all of the other people that you can chart out. Um, which, again, a thing that is, uh, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this, I think, too, when it comes to how to read comics and ways that I think people are underserved by larger collections of comics. Um, and I think that that's a thing that we'll talk about because, because I think that it affects the way that you read things. Um, but like it's, it's a small scale story with big world ramifications is how Mm -hmm. I would describe it. So anyway, the basic thing is the first five issues are basically a prologue that the rest of the 15 issues then take up the grand quest of which we've seen the first five. Um, it starts with the Wolf Riders. They live in the, the forest. Red Lance has been captured by the humans. They capture him back. The humans get mad. They burn down the forest. So the elves flee through the troll caves, are betrayed by the trolls, almost die. But then they find another tribe of elves, which they did not even know existed in the middle of the desert, um, who are the people of the sun, the sun seekers. Um, and so the Sunseekers and the Wolf Riders eventually merge their two societies essentially into one. They live together in harmony for seven years um, until uh, due to some circumstances with with some people who, uh, you know, come through the desert, Cutter gets in his mind, there have got to be other elves out there besides the two of the two groups of us. So I am going to go find those other elves. And so he... Cutter is the chief of the Wolf Riders, um, and our main character, if there is a main character in ElfQuest, it's Cutter. Um, later on, I think that the main character, if there is one, will shift, and it depends on, again, we could talk about production history, and, and we'll talk, we'll touch a little bit on it, because I think it's really interesting. There'll be a lot of different main characters later on, but for sure in the, in the original quest, Cutter, Skywise, his best friend, and essentially brother, 
um, and his wife, Lita, uh, Cutter's wife, Lita, are the three main characters who we deal with a lot, but Cutter obviously being the most important one. Um, and so he goes on this quest to find more elves, and Skywise goes with him. And they go. They have some misadventures, dealing with trolls again, dealing with some humans, and then finally dealing with uh, the uh, silk weavers, which are some bugs, which become extremely important later on in the story when you find out why the bugs exist and where they came from. Um, but that's kind of where we ended, was with... Uh, Lita and their children meeting back up with Cutter um, as he is still on his quest trying to find other wool or other um, elves and the rest of the wolf riders who are with Lita trying to find Cutter and Skywise have been kidnapped by large birds that maybe had riders on them and that is kind of where we end uh, mm. the first 10 issues or the first two volumes is with Cutter, Skywise, Lita, their kids, and two of the other wolf riders are still free, headed towards the Blue Mountain, where there are large birds that are maybe read by ridden by other elves. And that's kind of where we're left, is in this like kind of cliffhanger. Yep. Um, so I really like this comic. Um, the reason I suggested it months ago originally is this is my favorite English language comic. And I know that that's kind of a weird pull for people when people say, oh, what's your favorite comic? And I'm like, oh, well, first off, which tradition are we talking about? And then secondly, like, because <laughs> it's, that's like saying, what's your favorite metal band, Peter? Correct. It's very true. Then you're like, well, metal is a big umbrella. And there's a lot of answers to that under that big umbrella. And for me, comics is the same way. But ElfQuest has become my favorite English language American style comic, um, which is weird because it is not a traditional American style comic in a lot of regards. Um, it was originally published independently. Um, you know, as I said, it was originally published by Warp Graphics, which stands for Wendy and Richard Penny. That's why it's called Warp. Um, because those are the creators. Wendy Penny is the artist, um, and she is incredible. And then Richard, her husband, uh, helps script and does a lot of the editorial work and basically runs the company while Wendy produces the the comics. Um, and that is still true to this day. Um, they're still putting out comics. Um, and they're, the publication of ElfQuest comics have really taken a circuitous, um, path over the decades. Uh, the first issue came out in 1978, like I said, so forever ago, long, long before, uh, BE, if you will, before Eden, um, cause I was not born yet, but, uh, um, P P post Peter, because you were born. Yep. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so that's what was born in between us. You were born, then ElfQuest was born, then I was born. And then you were born. Yeah. It's the system. Um, but anyway, so they published it on their own and then as they were finishing the publication of the original quest and then moving on to new stories, Marvel actually approached them and said, Hey, we'd like to publish some of your stuff because I don't know how much you know about what happened to Marvel in the eighties. Marvel got weird. Um, in a lot of great ways. Uh, they started doing a lot of stuff that wasn't superhero stuff, which is not things that they had done for decades. Um, but this is when they started having star comics, which was a Marvel imprint for kids specifically. So that is where, like, when we were kids, we had a couple issues of Master of the Universe comics, and those were 
put out by Star, or the Care Bear comics were put out by Star, or Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham was a Star comic. So these were comics that were explicitly geared towards, like, elementary school age kids. Um, And then they had their Epic line. And the Epic line was explicitly geared towards adults, whereas the superhero comics were geared towards, like, teenage people. Okay. And so in the Epic line, you get things like... um, what is the name of that Peter Mantlo comic that is like a weird like space pirates I can't think of the name of it right now it's a really cool comic I can't think of the name of it Uh, that was published by Epic ElfQuest was published by Epic Um, the original English language printing of Akira the comic like the manga was originally Uh published in 60 issues by Marvel in color which Again, I'm a sicko, so I kind of want to own it, even though I already own Akira two separate times in both the Dark Horse (laughs) printing and the new 35th anniversary Kodansha printing, which is actually printed right to left and correctly paginated in a brand new translation, which is like definitively, if you want to read Akira the way you should do it, I am kind of a sicko who wants to drop $1,000 on getting a 60-issue set of Marvel reprints in color. I won't, because that's stupid. But if someone gave me $1,000 and said, do this, I would. Because uh, <laughs> I'm a sicko. But that's the sort of stuff that Epic was publishing. So the entire quest was published in the late 80s uh, at Marvel, but then it didn't sell very well, so Marvel didn't want to do any of the other stuff they had done after the original quest. So they went back to publishing with their personal stuff, their own company, and in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a huge boom in indie comics production. And they were, their company was on the forefront of a lot of that. They had at one point like six or seven different ElfQuest books going, telling six or seven different stories. Um, and these were all being published in color. They were big, uh, you know, fancy, like good looking issues. They had a whole teams of people doing different stories um, in the ElfQuest universe. And then the collapse of the mid 90s happens to the comics industry and it hits them really hard too. And so this huge production company that had seven or eight different ElfQuest books going, as well as publishing books by lots of other groups, they were publishing, you know, some uh, Barry Wright comics and a bunch of other weird stuff that had not really gotten bigger releases, had all been published independently at even smaller companies than theirs. It all kind of fell apart. They went back to publishing only one single volume which is ElfQuest volume two it's called and it was like an anthology book now and it was back to black and white and back on cheap paper and so you can really see like the trajectory of the comics industry through their work and then in the early 2000s they start doing reprints through dc who starts publishing them in like manga tonkaban size because that was like you know early 2000s all of the western companies wanted to start publishing manga too because it was getting popular Mm -hmm. and so they reprinted it like that and then that all fell apart and they only put out a couple comics in the 2000s and then in 2013 they signed up with dark horse and now dark horse is who reprints their who you bought your reprint from was the dark horse version um that's who if you buy the large omnibuy they're by dark horse and the final quest and then stargazers hunt which are the two books that have come out since the dark horse partnership um, are what have come out through that. So it's really interesting to see the trajectory of the American comic 
through ElfQuest, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like seeing the rise and fall of an industry in this one couple's comics output. So like, even if I didn't love the story, which I do, I think I would really love it. I would love ElfQuest as like a time capsule of the comics industry and the way that it works both in good ways and bad ways. But I also love the story. Um, Yeah. And the first time I ever read it was I was in my comic store, my local comic store, and I was bored and I didn't have a whole lot to do at work that day because I would go like during during my work day on my lunch break, I would go to the comic store and I didn't have anything to do. So I wanted something to read. And they had all 32 issues of the Marvel reprint bundled together in one big thing. And it was like. 40 bucks for all wow. 32 issues. And I was like, I've heard ElfQuest Elf is interesting. It's $40. Who cares? And so I bought it. Uh, and thus began my descent into madness, which involved getting my hands on literally every ElfQuest comic that has ever been printed, um, which is where <laughs> I'm at right now. I, I have every single ElfQuest story that has ever been printed, and I've read all of them because um, I like it. That's impressive. Um, but it definitely is kind of idiosyncratic in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that it's, I think it does a lot of really great things in the storytelling, but I can also see why it doesn't necessarily grab someone's attention if they're not primed for it. I think I was in a, like a place mentally and as a comics reader where I was like ready for it. But I think like what you said, comics, reading comics is a different creature. You know, like there's been a lot of research done. Uh, This is, I'm, I feel like I'm talking too much, but. uh, Oh, no, you're good. You're good. (laughs) There's been a lot of research done um, in comics use in pedagogy and things like that. This is all research I've had to do for a dissertation, friends. Um, And there's a lot of, of, of good research that shows that comics are actually really wonderful for kids to use because they engage different parts of the brain than prose does while still engaging all of the parts of the brain that prose does. So reading a comic is a far more active experience for the reader than just reading prose is. Um, And that I think is maybe what makes it hard for you because it is a far more active, far more involved uh, medium than, than prose is. I think you're right. Because <laughs> this is the, this is like the common theme. Because the problem is, I have been so tired. Yep. These last few weeks slash couple of months, just you know, kind of burning my candle at both ends. That I would sit down to read, and it. I think that's really a good way to put it. I found it exhausting. Yep. Because I'm look, and this is this is. This is the way they do this. And it's not just them. This is, these are like tools in comic books. We need to know when characters are talking to each other. And so we make that appear a certain way on the page. Mm-hmm. We need to know when characters are thinking thoughts to themselves. So that needs to appear a different way on the page so that you, the reader, can tell. Mm-hmm. In the case of ElfQuest, the elves can send and telepathically communicate with each other. And so that needs to be depicted in, again, a distinct way. Well, and, and then, you even have on top of that, when they speak with the humans, that's a different language. 
So we need to put it in a different shaped word balloon. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have the expository text. Mm Mm-hmm. And that needs to be presented in another distinct fashion. And so you've got minimum four to five different ways the text and the text bubbles, the speech bubbles, the thought bubbles, those things are appearing on the page. And you need to take cues from that visual representation so that you understand the context of those words. Is this exposition? Is this spoken dialogue between two elves? Is this spoken dialogue between... Elves and humans. Is this thought? Is this telepathic? You know, what is, and, and so just from a simple standpoint of the text, you have to keep track of that and pay attention to that aspect of how is the text presented on the page so that you understand the context of it. Sure. And then you've got to be paying attention to the pictures to see what is happening because they're not describing the what is happening. That's what the pictures are there for. Uh It's not like when you're reading prose and you can see here's my dialogue, here's my action, here's my this, because, you know, punctuation. You've got to look at – you're looking at the text and and look, I'm going to throw out another thing there. And maybe it's just because I'm dumb. Maybe it's because I'm old. Maybe it's because I'm tired. Maybe it's all three. But sometimes it's a matter of what order am I supposed to be reading these damn balloons in? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, that happens. <laughs> and, and so by the time you get all of this together, yes, it is a very, very active way to read in a way that prose is not. And, well, and here's, and here's so another wrinkle is, that adds to yeah. that active reading. And this again, this is a thing that has been borne out by reams of not reams because they haven't done reams of uh, research into comics yet but they should um, a fair amount of research has been done that all of those things that you mentioned are true but on top of that the difference between say motion picture and comics is that you then have to interpolate what is happening between those pictures and when yeah. you're reading those things you are given far more leeway in the way that you imagine in your brain the way things are working because you don't have to use these images. And this is what happens in your brain. Again, they've done research on this. When you look at one panel, you read it, you move to the next panel, you read it, you move to the next panel, you read it. Your brain is firing and figuring out what is happening in between those panels. Who is moving where? How are they moving in that way? What is going on? How am I putting these discrete pieces together into a coherent whole. Um, and so that is one of the biggest reasons why it is a, a, a far more active uh, consumption method than either movies, TV, or prose is because you are taking both of those and then adding this interpolation that you don't get from either of them. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So like... I, and I think you mentioned this in in our text messages to each other. You kind of have to learn how to read comics to a certain extent. Yes, and you do. it is it is definitely a learned thing. 
Like, obviously, just like with reading, some people are faster at learning how to read, some people are better readers, some people are worse readers, but there is still a skill to it, regardless of your innate ability to understand chicken scratches on a page that you have to develop and that you have to to nurture. And the same is true of reading comics. And again, while I really love these comics, they're dense. They're, you know, one of the reasons why I think A Bride Story was so easy for you to read is that comic is so sparse. Yes. That comic has so is so impression based rather than uh, exposition based, um, and this, on the other hand, is extremely exposition heavy. Yeah, it very much is. Which again, it is part of playing in a different genre. High fantasy usually is exposition heavy when it's in prose. You know that is the whole. I mean, you just said twelve hundred page books. That doesn't happen if it's not exposition heavy. <laughs> if it weren't, that's for sure. I bet that you could pair basically every 1200 page fantasy epic into a three or 400 page book with some eviscerating like editor. They could do it. They could still get every basic plot point across in a third to a quarter of the page number, but it's an expository medium. And that's, that's what people like about it. That's why people buy yeah. Brandon Sanderson books is because they love the way that he builds a world. They love the way that he builds a magic system and the way that he explains all of these things in detail to them. That's what people find interesting about fantasy. So that's obviously what the pennies are trying to do here. They're trying to give that feel of an epic fantasy, but in this other context, but I don't know. I yeah. think it's really interesting. I do too. And, and like well, I say, that was, I think, the biggest – I don't know that I had noticed that so much in previous comics that I read. In reflecting back, I can tell that this undercurrent was there, and I think sure. it's part of the reason. I didn't really enjoy the Inkal that much sure. because in addition to some of the specific uh, issues I had with that book – it was that underlying the aspect of those, the difference in reading a comic. And I just didn't appreciate that. It is a skill that takes time to develop and that one can be very adept at reading. I read a lot. Yeah. And, and it's whether it's again, high fantasy, hardcore science fiction, or, you know, really technical statistics and, uh, you know, jar medical jargon, heavy uh, articles, textbooks, things like that. So I'm pretty good at reading sure. all sorts of stuff. But it wasn't until I was finding myself bumping up against this that I realized, oh, but comics is yet a different medium. And that is a type of skill you just haven't developed that much. Yeah. Uh, and and it was it was it was one of the reasons I said, you know, I think we should talk about that in light of this book, because I am one hundred percent positive that that is why I haven't enjoyed it as much as I honestly think I would. And so what I'm hoping to do at some point is you know, as I've maybe developed those skills a little bit and also maybe when I'm not so gosh darn tired, I mean, that's come back and read it again. And I think that I am going to enjoy it a lot more on a reread. Sure. And the other thing, like, again, it's a, it's, it's a muscle that you develop 
And, and it is a type of reading that you have to foster in yourself. You have to inculcate it. Um, and you have to keep using it. Like if I, it's like speaking Spanish. If I go six months without speaking Spanish for some reason, I am rusty when I need to speak Spanish again. If I go two or three months without reading a comic for some godforsaken reason, I don't know why that would happen. But it does occasionally. Depression's a hell of a drug. Sometimes you don't read anything because you're just depressed and you just play Final Fantasy because it's the only thing you can bring yourself to do. Uh, <laughs> and then you go read a comic and you're like, this is a lot hard. Like, this is taking me a lot longer than it should. It's harder for me to, to, to you know, internalize this story that's happening. But it is a thing that as you do it more, you do get better at it. You know, like, I, I read this comic twice in the last week, all 20 issues. Wow. Because that's how I read comics, especially if I want to analyze them or think about them more deeply, I got to read them twice because I read it once to let the story wash over me. And then I read it a second time to dig into the details, to dig into the artwork, to dig into the themes um, and really think about it from a, 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 a deeper angle like that. And part of that is because this is literally what I what I'm trained to do. This is my this is what my dissertation is about. This is what my sure. academic training is my so like that's that's how i read these sorts of things but like that ain't normal i get that that's not normal reading 1400 pages of comics in a week is not normal but, <laughs> but i did it. it's impressive though it's really impressive um but so i one thing i wanted to talk about as well so you said that you're you said you're finding the art good though you're liking the art i think the art's great yeah i really love wendy's style and i love how if you read some artists, you definitely see the way that they evolve over the course, especially over the course of the thousands of pages, which we have in ElfQuest. Uh, again, the Stargazer's Hunt Volume 2 came out two months ago, and that is the latest Star, Star ElfQuest book. came out two months ago. Hmm. And guess what? Skywise still looks like Skywise. That asshole still has spiky white hair and a weird thing that he wears on his face like he's a Marvel superhero from 1992 and uh, <laughs> he still looks like Skywise and that I think is really impressive because I feel like Wendy nailed it the first time and so there's been little changes in terms of the way that that her art works but like it's basically there on the page from the first issue looking like, like Cutter looks like Cutter from page yeah. one. Um, and I think that I'm really glad that the omnibus is in black and white because the comic was originally published in black and white. Um, and then in, when Marvel published it in the 80s, they did it in color. And uh, when DC did it in the late or the early 2000s, it was completely redone uh, with totally new colors. And then there was also a digital recolor that happened in the early 2000s. Uh, and I need to show you, I'm going to share my screen with you so that you can see the original printing versus the Marvel printing versus if you go to the ElfQuest website, this is the digital recolor. And you will see why I am so glad that you are reading this book in black and white. So on the left, this is my magazine printed in 1981. In the uh -huh. middle, these are pictures I took on my phone. In the middle, this is the ma mass market printing, 86, and then the digital recolor from 2013. Doesn't the black and white arc look so much more striking and emotive? And yeah. 
I don't know. I, I just feel like her line work is so clean that when you start get throwing color on top of it, it just kind of muddies the whole thing. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that the black and white is the best choice. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is a really impactful scene and it works so much better in black and white. We're specifically looking at the scene where the family is reunited um, after the, the quest is underway and like Cutter finds Lita and their kids again. Um, and it just works so much more for me. Uh, I will have to say, everyone who complains about black elves in Rings of Power, Penny's been doing that since 78, suckers. So, like, get with the times. <laughs> uh, elves been have been black. Elves have been black <laughs> for a long time. Because Lita and Cutter's kids, Lita herself, most of the sun, the sun elves, it's cool. It's cool. Don't got to be racist yeah. about it. Rings of right. Power Watchers. People just look for excuses to be right, to expose their racism. They are racist and they just want to spout it off and they look it's for true. excuses to do it because they're sad, pathetic people who have sad, sorry lives and simple it's minds. True. It's true. But yeah, anyway, I, you know, we can kind of wrap up our talking about it here. Um, I just really like this comic. I think it rules a lot. The idea that, and it, this is on page two, like, Hey, elves are aliens and uh, deal with it. And we'll, we'll get to why they're aliens later on. And we'll explain all that stuff. But you don't got to worry about it right now. But they are aliens. So deal. <laughs> I just kind of love that. That's just kind of like a ballsy move to be on page two of your comic. Be like, yeah, they're aliens. Don't worry about it. And like is a thing that they're clearly setting up for the future and that they visit in the future. Like during that big boom in the 90s like they had two comics that were set in the far future of this world uh where you know humanity has left the planet and gone to the stars and they're like wondering what happened to the elves and the elves have all noped out and it's a question of like where did the elves all go hmm. um yeah anyway i just think i just think it's a cool comic um and it means a lot to me so even nice. though it, it, you weren't able to get into it, um, I understand. It, I do not feel bad about that at all. But I'm glad that you were able to at least uh, give it a try with me because um, it is a comic that means a lot to me um, and that has been really uh, important to me over the last few years. Uh, well, and, and I, I, I fully intend to to finish it. Well, and, and I think again, that we should in I, a few months. You know, give, give it some time. Yeah. Wait till you're in a place where you're not quite so exhausted. Hopefully your sleep schedule can figure itself the hell out. Let's come back. We got to finish it. It ended with half of our elf or half our wolf riders in cages and the sinister voice of someone named Winnow Will. Who is Winnow Will? I know. I got to find out. I got to find out. She's a baddie. She's the baddie. The tales I could tell about Winnow Will. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We'll definitely have to come back to him. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, yeah, let's uh let's wrap up here. Uh, did you have any last thing you wanted to say before we wrapped up for the evening? Not really, other than again, it was it was a real moment of sort of both self realization as well as just general realization as I finally sort of grasped this idea that you know this is a skill that I just have not really developed over the years and. Uh, you know, it, like you said, people tend to think of comic books as less than whatever. Yeah, they do. And 
I think that that is, uh, that is foolish, that is misguided. And I think that they could find examples where, yes, it is less than, but you can find examples of everything that is less than. And it was interesting for me to go, no, not only the skill required to make this, but there is a skill required to develop and to truly appreciate this medium that I'm still working on. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things, this is a bigger, a bigger thing, but it's a thing I think a lot about, you know, my, my partner is a librarian, uh, a specifically a youth services librarian. And I have a lot of friends who are librarians, um, who work in youth services. And again, there's a real stigma, um, I think, especially among old school teachers and librarians against comics, because they don't, um, I think that they see them as just like whatever funny books, like you said, less than. Um, but the fact of the matter is, from a research perspective, comics are great for kids because they engage all those things that we were talking about. But another thing that they do for kids that is less pertinent and less prominent for adults is kids will read a comic at a much higher lexical level than they could ever touch in prose and they will understand it. Even if they don't understand maybe specific words, because of that fusion of word and picture, they are able to grasp what is happening in these, um, in these comics, which then lead them to develop higher level vocabulary and higher lexical ability because of their exposure to these higher lexical level works because they read them in comic form. So like there's kind of a movement with stodgy old librarians where they'll like put the graphic novel selection on vacation so the kids can't check out comics for a couple of weeks in the school library or whatever. And that is so counterintuitive because it doesn't teach the kids that, hey, prose is great and you should read it too. Or instead of comics, it teaches them to not like to read because they don't get to read what they want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because kids love comics. In case you didn't know, kids <laughs> freaking love comics. There's a reason why Dogman sells more books than God every year. <laughs> and that is not me being hyperbolic. More copies of Dogman sell than the Bible in America every single year. So, uh, I don't take that, it. God. You're taking a backseat to Dav Pilkey. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we can wrap it up there. I was going to talk about paratext and the importance of that stuff, but we have hit an hour, and nobody but me cares about that kind of shit. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really interesting. Um, but that is a topic for another day when I bore you with my research interests in comic books. <laughs> well, we're going to come back to it, so there's time. Great. I'll talk about paratext next time in a few months. Um, you I, People don't even know what paratext means, but it is an important thing when it comes to reading comics. It's all the stuff that's not the comic. So, especially in single-issue comics, it's your editorial page. It's your letters to the editor. It's your advertisements. It's your front cover, your back cover. All that stuff you don't get in an omnibus, which is, again, that's what I wanted to talk about. We don't have time. We'll talk about it later. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> thanks good. all for listening. Uh, go read ElfQuest. I think it's cool. If you want to talk to me about ElfQuest, I'm down. Anytime, anytime you want to talk about ElfQuest. You want to talk about, yo, why is Ember such a cool chief later on when she grows up? Yeah. Does Cutter look better once he grows out his uh, sideburns and gets old? We talk about that. That doesn't happen in the original quest, but eventually Cutter gets old. So we didn't talk about how Lita's a cradle robber because she's 
500 years old and cutter's 20 something <laughs> it's true. It's but true. uh happens recognition that's a yep. easter egg for the next podcast um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at feedback at the middle of culture.com. Uh, rate and review us on your iPod or your uh, podcast platform of choice. Um, and we will give you many kisses if you do so um, virtual and it's or true. in person. If we're around you, we will. if we can, if any, we can do them in person, we'll do it. I'll kiss any forehead. Uh, you, you show me a forehead. I'll kiss it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks when we, Visit the Summer of X once again. Oh, boy. And, you know, we're going to have to decide after we get off the air which version of the next. Uh, well, no, no, no. Are sorry. there two I versions? Almost, sorry, not the Wolverine. I was jumping ahead of today's a future past. We'll have oh, to sure. We'll have so. to talk about that in a month or so. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya.